0: This morning's reading is from Luke 9, 43b through 50, from the New International Version. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. We are continuing our series. If uh, you're guest with us today, we're in the middle of a series called Skid Road, how we slide into temptation uh, around sins of money, sex, and power. And today we're talking about power and the use of power and, uh, and how we're tempted by power. And so as we get in today, I thought it'd be fun to see if you could help me out. I actually know the answer to these, but I want us to take a look at some job titles and you're, we're going to look at a job title, and I want you to guess what the job is that this title refers to. How you, you with me here? We're gonna, I'm going to show you a business card. This is on a business card. Let's, I'll start with the easy one. I think you'll get this one. Uh, let's show them the first business card. This is a title of a job, the drain surgeon. What, do you, what job do you think this is? Plumber. plumber. How many? Yeah, plumber. Good. See, I told you. How about this? Sandwich. Next one is sandwich technician. How about that? It's right down the street. Subway, right? right? If you go down the street, a block, you're going to hit Subway. That's what they call the people who make sandwiches at Subway. They're sandwich technicians. So say thank you. If you go down there this week, today, go say, hey, thanks to the sandwich technician. How about this one? Director of first impressions. Walmart greeter. Good guess, right? Uh, that's a receptionist. So anything reception-related. Where's Lori today? Lori, you're the now new director of First Impressions at First Church. All right, good. So that's good. Let's try it. Let's get a little bit harder. How about transparent maintenance engineer? Window washer. washer. Yeah, very good. Window washer. Right. All right. Let's try the next one. Environmental maintenance officer. Janitor. Very good. You're good. Man, this this group is really good over here. Um, All right, last one. My favorite, underwater ceramic technician. Underwater ceramic technician. Dishwasher. dishwasher. Who said that? You dishwasher, right? That's it. That's my favorite one. Dishwasher. You got it? Everybody with me now? Dishwasher? All right. My question, though, is why do we want to change the titles? Why do we want to make them sound more important? What's going on inside of us that wants to have a better title. Think about it. What does your business card say? (laughs) And how important is that title to you? Because that's exactly what the disciples are wrestling with, right? I mean, they're wrestling with who's going to get to be the greatest, the GOAT, greatest of all time disciple. Who's going to get to be that person? Now, I want to put this in perspective because In Luke chapter 9, there's a lot happening in Luke chapter 9. We didn't read a lot of it. There's a lot more going on here. Let me remind you some things that happened just in this chapter in the gospel. First of all, demons have been cast out. So Jesus has cast demons. He has used his power to cast out the demonic out of people. Jesus and the disciples fed 5,000 people with uh, five loaves and two fish. That just happened. Jesus also met on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah and a few of his disciples. And they have witnessed that they have seen Jesus transfigured as he met with these two great leaders of the Old Testament. And then also, everybody keeps asking the question all throughout chapter nine, who is Jesus? Is he Elijah? Is he John the Baptist resurrected because John the Baptist was recently beheaded by Herod? Even in chapter nine, we find Herod asking about Jesus and wondering who he is because Herod is probably threatened. Herod, the political leader, the one that was in political power, was threatened by Jesus' ministry. So all in chapter nine, there's all this this story is about the use of power and position and titles and who's in charge and who's in control. And Jesus keeps revealing himself as the one who has the power to heal and the power to feed. And it's Peter in chapter 9 that says to Jesus, when Jesus asks him, who do you say I am? He, Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. So there's all these power dynamics going on in all of chapter 9. And so hold that with this verse. The very first verse of Luke chapter 9 starts this way. And it says this. He gave them, meaning the disciples, power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. Verse 1 of chapter 9. Now the disciples have been given this power, and they've witnessed Jesus's use of power throughout the whole, this whole season of their ministry with Jesus. So I point that out because it's interesting that that's not enough. Did you notice that? Like, how many people here would, would love to have the power to drive out evil and heal people? How, how many people would love that? Right. They've been given that. <laughs> and they've witnessed everything that Jesus has been doing. And here we find them towards the end of chapter 9. What are they doing? They're arguing about who's the greatest. Like, they're not just, it's not enough for them to have this power to be able to work with Jesus, to see all these miracles. Now they want more. Now they want more power. Now they want to be better than their brother or sister. They want to be higher. They want to be ranked above the others. It's interesting how power goes to your head. It's interesting how power can corrupt the human spirit, the soul. And I think about this, and Jesus sees this in them, and it's interesting because it, the text says that Jesus sees what? What does Jesus see going on when he recognizes this? Where does he see the problem in the text? If you've heard the text, where is it that Jesus sees the problem? It's in their heart, right? Jesus sees this as a heart issue in his disciples. And so I would say that to you and to, to me that power is a heart issue. It's an issue, it's a desire of the heart now, the thing about power, at least my, one of the assumptions I see in myself and also in others as we talk about this, we tend to make the assumption that power is a temptation for those in power. Does that make sense? Like, we assume that the people that have problems with power are the people that are, have powerful positions. We tend to not see power in ourselves. We tend we tend not to see our own power and our own desire for power within ourselves. We tend to say, see, it's easier for us to see it in other people, particularly those in leadership, to look at them and say, oh, they've got all the power, so they need to, we need to get them straightened out. And I think it's, this is one of those issues where it's a speck in a log. It's easier to see the speck of power in another person's eye and not see the log of how we te- are tempted by power in our own eye it's subtle in us, it goes unseen, we don't really talk about it, and we also live in a society that actually teaches us that it's okay. <laughs> that We live in a society that gives us a title, <laughs> that says you're important, right? And so there's this part of our society we have to acknowledge that actually tempts us when it comes to the issue of the desire for power. Uh, William Barclay in his commentary points out three places within our own spirit within our human nature where we're tempted by power he says the first one is a desire for for prestige do you ever have that desire now you typically probably don't perceive it in yourself but let me ask it this way have you ever been jealous when someone else has a good idea and they get credit for it have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt jealous of someone else who did something really good at work or in life and then you're jealous because they got all the credit because they came up with this great idea, right? That, that's, that's, that's that desire. Or how about when you don't get credit for something that you did? <laughs> or you think you deserve more credit than you got. All that's a part of that desire to be honored right? To be honored, to have prestige. So prestige is about how other people perceive us and to be honoring us based on that perception. So we want to create this perception to other people that they'll honor us. That's prestige. That's why we want to feel prestige and we want to be have prestige. Or I know, I'll be honest with you, I got my, um, I got my doctoral degree. Maybe I've told you this before. I got my doctorate and I got it and my dad was there at, at graduation and I looked at him, I said, uh, you know, now, Dad, you have to call me Dr. Poole. And my dad said to me, well, how about I call you Dr. I Change Your Diapers? How about that? (laughs) Right back. Humbling moment, right? Just a great reminder. Parents are great at just bringing it right back to to the basics, right? But what is that, right? That's that desire to have this title, right? And I will tell you, in my own uh, walks in life, if I'm honest with you, there are times I'll be in a room And uh, I'll hear people, other people being referred to as doctor. And they'll just call me Matt. And I'll I'll be like, wait, you know, there's this great temptation in me to go, wait a second. I'm a doctor too, right? What's that about? And I oftentimes don't say anything because I tell people all the time, just call me Matt. Well, do I really mean that? Right? (laughs) Just call me Matt, by the way. It helps me. It humbles me. (laughs) It keeps me away from the temptation. I don't, so don't, just call me Matt. Let's keep it at that. Just don't call me late for dinner. All right. <laughs> but those are the things. Isn't that, isn't that, do you all wrestle with that too? Or is it just me? Or how about this, a desire for place? Like, where's your place? <laughs> Whenever you get to a place in your career or your job, do you ever look to step down from that place? Or are you always looking, what's the next place I can go to? How can I get higher in that place? How can I get a place or position that is higher than the one I'm in now? Right? That's the temptation of power. Very rarely do we ever step down to another place or a place that we've been. Or go back to another place where maybe we were actually healthy and happy and spiritually whole. But basically, think about that. Do we look at place or, you know, I I know that... Some, you know, have you ever walked into like a a nice dinner or a banquet and they assign tables, you know, to people at these nice dinners? Have you ever been to one of those? Do you ever walk in the room and go to your table and go, well, why am I at this table? Why are all those people up at that table? Have you ever done that? That's the temptation of power. That's the temptation of place. Why am I not more important why am I not the greatest? That's that question the disciples were wrestling with. And when you walk into a room and you see people in different places or even in society or in the world, do you treat people differently based on their place in society? Now, I'm not saying, do you, are we mean to people? Because I think most of us would say, I- I'm nice to everybody, right? Let me ask it this way. Have you ever found yourself being nicer to some people that are, in your eyes, more important? And maybe you're nicer to them and give them more attention than you do another person who's in the room or in the, in the world based on their position or their place. Like, for example, well, I can't, that's not a good example. Um, I won't, yeah, let me put it, I'm just going to leave that. Because <laughs> I can't really use a good example. Um, so basically the question is, do you treat diff- people differently because of their place? One of the things I learned early on, even as a kid, and, um, I, I used to go to school with my dad in the summertime and he was a teacher and he taught the international baccalaureate program at his high school, which is a prestigious program, so to speak, academically. But I would walk through the halls of the school in the summer with my dad as a kid, as he was preparing for the next year, um, because that was childcare back then. You know, you know there was no child care. That, that was child care. You took your son to work, and he worked alongside of you. And so we walked through the halls. So I would go meet the principal of the school, and I, and I would watch how my dad would react and have, his, have a relationship with the principal of that school. But then I also watched how my dad reacted and related to the custodian and the physical education teacher. And everybody else in the school. And the one thing I saw my dad do was he treated everybody the same. You know, he, he, he responded to the custodian the same way he responded and treated the principal of the school. Is that a better example? Right? That's a good example, right? So that's what I'm saying is that are there, are, do we find the temptation in us to try to treat people differently because of their position? And the last one is really the one. Uh, is the desire for prominence. That's what the disciples are wrestling with. They're, they're, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the most prominent. They, they didn't want to just have power to drive out demons and heal diseases and feed the hungry. They wanted to be the greatest of all the power, right? Notice how they wanted to, to, to rank each other. And every time we start to rank grade, greatest to least, we start to rank winners and losers, as soon as we start to do that, we start to break down relationships. That's the problem with power, is it begins to destroy and break down relationships within our lives as we seek power, as we give into these temptations for place and prominence and prestige. So, it's, so Jesus doesn't say anything to them. What does he do? He actually gives them an object lesson. He goes and he finds a child. Who in that society, children take on different, in, in the first century, children were powerless. They, they were more seen, not, they, they wanted to be seen and not heard, so to speak, in that society. Children didn't have a lot of power in that society, and they were, they were less valuable. We put a lot of emphasis on our children today, probably to the other extreme today compared to the first century. So Jesus goes and finds a little child, we don't know how old, but a little child, probably maybe under five, and he has this little child come and stand next to him. Now, now remember, what, Jesus, what have the disciples seen Jesus do just recently? Drive out demons, feed 5,000 people, Mount of Transfiguration, right? See all Jesus transfigured on the mountain. So they're looking at Jesus, and Jesus finds the most powerless person he can find among them, and he, sa- and he stands beside the child. This is an object lesson. Jesus hasn't said anything yet. <laughs> he just shows them. The child. The powerless and the most power, standing by the most powerful person in the world in the minds of the disciples. It's interesting that the Greek words here to make this distinction are the, word, are the English words mega and micro. Mega and Micro. If you want to be mega, greatest, you need to become micro, littlest, smallest. So he takes these two words, mega and micro, and he illustrates it between him and this little child, and he says to them, whoever welcomes this micro little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you micro among you who is the greatest now according to Jesus Jenny is the greatest person in our church now don't let it go to your head (laughs) because she serves who the least the least the littlest because that's who she serves, that's who she works with, and that her service to them actually makes her the greatest in God's eyes. Think about that. Have you noticed how even in the church, what do we call the biggest churches? Mega. What's that about? What's driving that mega church? Now, I'm not saying all mega churches are bad or seduced by power, but I think there's a temptation within This desire to become a mega church that is about prominence and place and importance and greatness rather than least. So I think actually the church is called not to be mega, but to be multiplying discipleship and conversions and people. I think the church is actually supposed to be a place of multiplication and kingdom building. And And that God ultimately makes any church grow. It's up to God to make things grow, not me or you. But Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, you have to become and work with and seek out the least among you. If you want to be mega, got to go micro. (laughs) It's not that other way around. I came across this quote that I think really reveals the dark side of power in Richard Foster's book, The Challenge of Disciplined Life. He says this, He says, when you add pride to this, he says, pride makes us think that we're right and power gives us the ability to cram our vision of rightness down everyone else's throat. The marriage between pride and power carries us to the brink of the demonic. When in this series, we've been talking about how Skid Road, these temptations lead us to these dark places, lead us to death, lead us to destruction, and the dark use of power and the temptations of power lead us to the darkest places of, in the depths where relationships are undermined and relationships are destroyed and relationships are disrupted because we're all seeking to be the greatest. And there's the seduction there that, G, that Richard Foster says brings us to the demonic, Strong words. So power has a dark side. But also, according to Foster, power has a light side. And how we use power can actually bring together relationships. And how we use power can actually heal relationships. And how we use power can actually restore relationships instead of break them apart. It can be used to cast out evil. It can be used to heal And that's what Jesus has given us power to do in the church and in the world, right? But we all have to wrestle with this light side of power, this dark side of power. I'll tell you, I wrestled with it a few weeks ago. And um, I've been saying to our staff uh, on occasion, I'll say, you know, if you see some trash in the parking lot, pick it up. You know, let's, let's care about our church. Let's care about our grounds. Let's care about what our church looks like. And so we're constantly going up behind people, cleaning up after people, and and just saying, hey, you know, we want our we want to be we want to honor and be good stewards of what God has given us. So I'm I've been saying this, and I've done my share of doing stuff, uh, picking up stuff in, around the church and cleaning up stuff. It's I don't just leave it up to the to the other work, other people, the other staff. But one morning, and I don't even know if I should say this in church, but I, I open up, I pull into my spot. And that's, it's actually multiple, couple times have happened, different things. But I pull into my parking spot and I open up my door. And as I'm getting out of my car, there, there's a pile of something in the space next to me. Toilet paper and a pile. Yeah, you got it, right? And, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't want to step in that. And I kind of look at it and I go, is that really what I think it is? So you know, immediately I'm thinking, you know, is that a homeless person? Is that a drunk college student? You know what, what's going on, right? But what have I been saying to the staff? <laughs> what, what did I tell? What did I say? If you see something, <laughs> pick it up. I go into the office, and I'm not. I'm just being honest with you. I sat at my desk for an hour thinking about this. I mean, I'm honest, you know, let me just confess. And, you know, here's what, here's what, go, here's what went on inside of Pat, Matt, Pat's, Matt's mind. I'm the pastor of this church. I shouldn't have to clean up poop in the parking lot. I'm the lead pastor of First Free. This is not my job. This is somebody else's job. This is not my position. This is not in my job description. Are you with me? (laughs) I remember sitting in my office for an hour wrestling with whether I should go back out and clean this up, right? And what are all the reasons I'm not, notice the reasons I'm not cleaning it up are about who? Me. Power, position, prestige, prominence. It was all about my position. But then I had another thought. And I thought to myself, and I began to think not of myself, but I began to think about what if somebody else comes across that? What if somebody else gets out of their car and steps in that? I don't want First Church to be known by somebody. Hey, that's the church where I stepped out and stepped in. They will remember this church forever. (laughs) Right? But also, I didn't want somebody else to have to deal with it. I didn't want somebody else to have to step in it. So I went out, I got a shovel, I got bags, I got three layers of plastic gloves, I did everything, and I, and, and I just did it, right? And, but I want you to notice, one, I struggled with doing it because of, because of that pride. But notice what got me through it. Notice what got me through the temptation of that is thinking of other people and shifting to think about others and the difference and how we can make a difference in other people's lives. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, he said, when Christ calls a man or woman person, he bids him or her come and die, come and die. I think about that, you know, a lot of times we look, look at Bonhoeffer and we go, oh yeah, I, I'd die if I had to face Hitler or the Nazi regime, and, and we see him as a great martyr in the church, but I think that what he says is still true for us today because sometimes this dying is not some major martyrdom. This dying is a little death, little de- what I would call little deaths. That every day there are little deaths that we have to die to ourselves. <laughs> like what I hopefully illustrated, that I had to die to self. Right? I had to die to myself and it was a daily little death that I had to have happen that I needed to crucify so that I could overcome power and pride in my own life. And I think that's what Bonhoeffer encourages us to do is we got to die these little deaths every day because those are the little deaths that will restore relationship, that will bring about goodness in our relationships with each other. So how do you move from the dark side to the light side? And I wanted to illustrate that. I wanted to give you an object lesson this morning. So I don't know if you saw this up here, but <clears throat> I brought my soul box today. And I, I'm not, that doesn't mean I'm going to sing anything that's soulful. But I thought about, you know, when the soul is in power. Think about it this way. When your soul is in control, when your soul is in power, it starts to look at things differently in life. For example, if the soul when the soul has a has a look looks at time, it sees time as a gift. It sees life as a gift. And the soul wants to look at time and use time wisely and use time to bring healing and restoration to relationships, wants to honor God with time and use time to benefit others and to make a difference in the world. And so the way we look at time is also to care for God, care for others, care for ourselves, care for God. So the soul looks at time and sees it as a gift. The other thing that the soul does is it, uh, it looks at things like, did I tell you I got a doctorate degree, by the way? <laughs> Um, but I, I, I went and got a doctor. The soul, when the soul has a hold of my doctorate degree, it's because I want to learn, because I want to grow. And so I got a doctorate because I want to learn more, I want to grow more, I wanted to find better ways to serve, and so I, I took that as a learning, and the soul wants to learn. And the other thing is the soul takes the, the business card, and it says, I'm in a, this position because I'm here to serve people and I'm in this position because God placed me in this position not because of anything else I want you to think about this uh, this way the soul looks at it this way if you ever see a turtle on a fence post you know it didn't get there by itself right I think that's the way to look the soul looks at positions you and I are in the position we're in because of God Bottom line, because of God and other people in our lives. You and I could have been born anywhere else in the world, but we were born here in these families with these opportunities. And we are. the soul says, we're here to use our position and our, our, our positions to bless others and to be a blessing. Then the soul takes money, looks at money. And the soul holds on to money lightly. And the soul says, how can I use this to benefit others? provide for my family, provide for my needs, but also how do I benefit other people with it? How do I be generous with it? So the soul wants to be generous and wants to be a good steward of what God has given the soul. And then also the soul, you like my artwork, the soul looks at other people as gifts, as relational gifts, and wants to honor them, and wants to value them, and and see their worth, and encourage them, and restore them, and restore relationships. So that's what the soul does. The soul, when the soul is in power, good things can happen with all these things. The the, the issue is, and that's what Jesus is pointing out to the disciples, is that what happens to us is that we don't let the soul take power. We, We move all these things into something, another box called the ego. So when the ego gets a hold of time, what does it do? It says, I deserve this. I'm going to use time for my benefit to, meet, to do what I want to do, to meet my agenda. And, and what does the, the do with degrees? It says, I'm important. Ooh, call me doctor. And then it takes money and says, how can I use this to, to please myself? Because I'm worth it. The ego says, I'm worth it, I deserve it. And then it takes titles and it uses that position not to serve others, but it uses that position to serve the self and to say, How can I get better? How How can this position get me higher? And then it looks at other people, and the ego looks at other people and says, How can I use other people as a means to an end? It looks at people as utilitarian and it begins to put them in the is- and uses them to serve the ego. Have you ever, where, what box are you living out of today? Where are these things in our lives today? What box do you live out of and who's in power, your soul or your ego? <laughs> who's in power? Can I add one more thing I would suggest that if you want to move these things out of the ego box, that you actually are going to need to surrender them. Because Jesus said, whoever wants to find their life needs to lose it. And anyone who does not deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, if you really want to find your life, lose it. Let go of it. Surrender it. Surrender it to God. That's the only way to get it back in the soul, is to give all those things back to God and surrender them to the Lord of the universe who wants to heal your soul and restore all of us to relationship. Let's pray together.